Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Matthew chapter 21. And if you need a Bible this morning, just reach over, reach up, actually. <laughs> I was going to say, reach over and take the one next to you. No, don't do that. Reach up and wave at one of the ushers and they'll pass you your own and you don't have to take your neighbor's. All right. We're going to to take a couple weeks away from Ephesians, although the message we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks really is the message of Ephesians, where it's talked about over and over again in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this resurrection power that's at work in us. We're going to look at how how did that all come about? That resurrection power he talks about, what does that really mean? This morning, Matthew chapter 21, it's called the triumphal entry. We talk about what we call this Palm Sunday. It's talked about here in Matthew chapter 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, which is really Bethany, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, which they probably will, uh, because you're stealing somebody's donkey, um, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, for years, I read this, and it was strange to me. I'm thinking, yeah, how does that work that you go in and you start stealing someone's property, expensive property? Um, It's like somebody coming and coming up in your driveway and somehow or another you left the keys in the car, which I know you wouldn't do, but let's say you left them in there. Um, and they just hop in and start it up and start to back out and you come run out. Well, what are you doing? And you say, the master has need of it. And you say, oh, okay, great. Then you're going to go on. Um, no, we wouldn't really respond that way. <clears throat> and yet the Lord says, all you got to do is tell them I have need of this. And then as you begin to look at this, the Lord had many, many followers in Bethany. We know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're all from Bethany. And there are many others there. Jesus loved to stay there. He stayed at their home and stayed in other places there in Bethany. So there was a significant number of those who were followers of Jesus Christ who were in the city. And so he would have been known. When somebody said the master has need of him, they'd have known who he's talking about. Jesus has need of this. Oh, Jesus has need of him, by all means. I mean, somebody showed up. Of course, we would probably still be skeptical because that's how we are. But they start driving off and says, Jesus has need of it. Well, I have need of it too. Um, But they responded and away he went. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. And sat and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is where we get the palm idea. Many palm trees in that area. There could have been other kinds of trees. It doesn't specify here. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus 
from Nazareth of Galilee. Palm Sunday, this annual event we celebrate, we remember each year, and you think, oh yeah, it's the palm trees, it's the shouting Hosanna, it's Jesus' triumphal entry. But I want to share with you two things that the Lord's really stirring in my heart about this passage. And, they're, and they've been fresh for me this time. Not necessarily new, but fresh. I want you to understand what Jesus was doing as he's going into the city. It says that he is taking, he's riding on this colt, on this donkey, never been ridden. He's coming in to the city and all of the people are shouting Hosanna. They're waving the branches. There's this celebration. They're receiving him like a king because he is a king, but not the kind they were thinking of. The thing that is important for you and I to realize, and sometimes when I have conversations with people, I will hear them say something that is absolutely not true, but it is spread, it is propagated as though it is true. And it's this statement. Jesus never declared himself to be God. Folks, if anybody ever tells you that, you know that they've been misinformed or never read it for themselves. Because over and over again, he declares himself to be God. He says right before, right after all this is going to happen, just before he goes to the cross, he tells him, he said, the, the Father and I are one. He kept saying over and over again, I am the Son. I mean, matter of fact, the reason we read back in the Gospels, the reasons they wanted, on one occasion they wanted to stone him is because he said, I am that I am. When he meets the woman at the well, she says, we're looking for the Messiah. We know he's going to come. And he looks at her and says, he's here. I'm him. Jesus made it very clear who he is. When he rides into the city that day, he's declaring again, I am Messiah. I am the one that has been promised. I am the son of God. This is who I am. They would have known this. You and I would have thought, here's a guy riding on a donkey coming in and people are all excited, kind of like a parade. That wouldn't have necessarily told us as Gentiles, hey, this is the Son of God, this is Messiah. But as a Jew, you would have known. Because even as Matthew writes here, he refers back to the passage. It's over in Zechariah 9.9. But he refers to that passage because here's the prophecy. Here's the foretelling of it. It says that he's going to be writing, there it is, Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They knew this passage. They grew up. From the age of five years old, most Jewish boys and girls would go to rabbi to be taught. They knew these prophecies. They knew these stories. And so when this begins to happen, it's, no, it, it, it's, it's not like it's some kind of strange thing that just spontaneously took place. They're looking at this and they're making the connection. Wait a second, Zechariah prophesied this. He's declaring to them, I am the anointed one. I am Messiah. I am God's son. I'm the one you've been looking for. Now I want to say something. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. When it comes to Jesus Christ, he's not a good teacher. I mean, he is, but that's not how you should think of him. Some people say, well, he's a good teacher. I like the teachings of Jesus, most of them. Thomas Jefferson didn't like some of them, so he wrote his own Bible and took some of them out. Um, but, but that's not made up. I have a copy of the Jefferson Bible. There were some things he did. He really liked the Gospels, except the miracle parts. 
Um, you know, there were certain things he didn't like so much. Jesus is not a good teacher. Some would say he's a prophet. Even those of other religions would say, well, he's a prophet. No, he's not a prophet. I want you to understand with Jesus, there it's one of three options with Jesus. You need to understand this. He's one of three things. He's either a liar because he knew he wasn't the Son of God, but he taught that he was. He proclaimed that he was. He spread that word around. So either he purposely knew he wasn't this and he lied about it, which I don't believe he was. He was either a liar or a lunatic. He wasn't the son of God, but he thought he was. He was a little disturbed and he just thought he was. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. He can't be anything else. He's not a prophet. He's not a good teacher. He's either Lord or he's a liar or a lunatic. One or the other. It's that simple. I'm telling you, in this day of diversity and tolerance, the one thing that there seems to be no tolerance for is Jesus being Lord. There is no tolerance. for You can be religious and spiritual all you want, but declare that Jesus is Lord. There is no tolerance for that. I love the old story. It's really a joke. Two guys, one atheist, one Christian, arguing about who Jesus is. And the atheist telling him, Jesus was a good teacher, maybe a prophet. But really, you know, he just had some teaching. He got some people to follow him. Once the momentum got started, it just kept growing and growing. And it just kind of became a movement then. He said, really, anybody could have done that. And the Christian smiled and he said, you're right. You're absolutely right. Anybody could have done it. All they had to do was live a sinless life, get themselves crucified and rise from the dead. You're right. Anybody could have done it. He's Lord. He's the son of God. He is God incarnate. And I say he is because he's still alive. And we'll talk about that next week, right? If he was just a prophet, he'd still be dead. If he's just a good teacher, he'd be a dead good teacher. He's alive. I know that. But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. All right. He's declaring who he is, first and foremost. Secondly, he is declaring to them everyone both there and all of us now and everyone through the centuries I am bringing cleansing cleansing coming to make you clean you see this wasn't the first example of someone riding triumphantly into Jerusalem with palm branches and, and boughs of trees and people shouting Hosanna and all that. This, this had happened before. If you go back about 200 years, you go back to one of the worst times in Jewish history. And this is roughly 200 years before what we're reading today. And you have a Greek king who was in Syria who had the purpose and desire of destroying every, every religion, especially Judaism, because it was, a mono, it was monotheistic. It means they served one God. 
The Greeks didn't like that. The Romans didn't. Matter of fact, hardly any culture served just one God. So they wanted to destroy Judaism. And this man in particular, this king in particular, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He gave himself the name Epiphanes, uh, literally meaning God manifest. He basically was saying, you're seeing de deity on display when you see me. And his purpose was to destroy the Jewish culture and religion. And so he attacks Jerusalem about 200 years before this takes place in Matthew 21. Everybody would have known it. You think, well, it was 200 years earlier. Anybody in here never heard of the American Revolution? If you grew up in the United States, you've heard of the American Revolution, even though it happened 200 and however many years ago. Everybody that day in the crowd with Jesus, they would, they would know of Antiochus Epiphanes as he came in, took control of the temple, and in order to destroy Judaism, he takes and he sacrifices. He goes into the Holy of Holies, which nobody was allowed to do except the high priest, and only once a year. But he goes in as a Gentile into the Holy of Holies, and then he does the unthinkable. He offers a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies. I mean, you couldn't have done anything worse than what he did. And then, kind of to rub salt in the wound, to add insult to injury, he takes the chambers of the temple, he brings in temple prostitutes, and he sets up worship to Zeus, and he has all, basically creates brothels inside the temple. What was his purpose? He wanted to destroy Judaism, the Jewish religion. Well, as you can imagine, uh, this didn't make the Jewish people very happy. And a rebellion ensued. And there was one who became the leader of this rebellion by the name of Judas Maccabeus. Now, you can read about these things in the book of Maccabees. As a matter of fact, uh, in the first book of Maccabees, you, there's a lot about this. These are not part of the canon of Scripture. They're not part of our 66 books. They are apocryphal books. Uh, but there, there's quite a bit of history outside of them to give some credence to what you read there. Again, we don't look at them as part of the canon of Scripture, but there is some interesting information. Judas Maccabeus leads the revolt to take back the temple, take back Jerusalem, and to fight against the Greek, this Greek army. And he wins. He's victorious. And so he comes... And there's a cleansing of the temple. And they went through the rituals, all of the Old Testament specifications of how you were to cleanse something if it became contaminated, unclean, unholy. And so he goes through all of this. And so all of the Jews, I mean, they're excited about this. They have defeated basically the Antichrist as far as they're concerned, although they wouldn't have used that term. The, the most evil person they can think of, Antiochus Epiphanes, he's been defeated and now you've got Judas Maccabeus. He's coming in, cleansing the temple, restoring worship there. As a matter of fact, he cleanses all of it. He sets up the menorah again and lights it. And the story goes, the tradition goes, that there was only enough oil for one day. You were supposed to burn it for eight days in this cleansing ritual. And yet somehow the oil that should have only lasted one day lasted the entire eight days. They saw it as a miracle of God's divine intervention in fact, the Jews still celebrate this event. They call it Hanukkah. But when Judas Maccabeus comes into the city, 
He's riding a great big horse. And people are throwing down the boughs in front of him and the branches and they're crying out, Hosanna. And all these things are taking place as he's riding into the city, according to the book of Maccabees, according to some of the Jewish historians. So as this is transpiring 200 years later, the people, the Jewish people, they know the story. They know their history. They have to see this. Now here's the thing. Judas Maccabeus comes in as a warrior. He's riding a horse. It was a sign of warfare. It was a sign of being a commanding general and leading your troops into victory. Jesus comes in on cult, as was prophesied in Zechariah. Why? Because he's coming in as a king who brings peace, not war. And as he comes into the city, he's doing what they remember Judas Maccabeus doing. What did Judas Maccabeus do? He came in and he cleansed the temple. That's what he did. They thought Jesus was going to come in as a military powerhouse, as a, as a human king, as a human ruler, and give Israel back its prominence in the world, its power in the world. People weren't going to mistreat them or dominate them or, or subject them to slavery anymore. They were looking at this in human terms. They were missing the boat. They they, they had the right picture, totally wrong interpretation. As Jesus is coming in, just like Judas Maccabeus came in and he cleansed the temple, Jesus was coming in to cleanse the temple as well. But it wasn't the one that they were thinking. He said, that temple, you can tear it down and I'll, I'll rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the physical one. He was talking about himself. Jesus came in, and he's coming in, and he's declaring to all. And the Jews would see this. They would understand the cleansing aspect of this. They just didn't get the significance. They didn't realize he wasn't talking about cleansing a building or a religious system or structure. He was coming in and saying, I'm going to cleanse the temple, which is every human being. Every place where I reside, where my spirit resides. What does 1 Corinthians tell us? That we are his temple. We are the place where he resides. He says, I come in to bring this cleansing, not a covering. I'm not covering it up. Martin Luther did many great things, including the Reformation and his, his part in it. But one of the things he said that is so wrong is that we are all piles of dung covered in snow. We are not piles of dung. By the way, that's, you know what dung is, all right? We are not piles of dung covered in snow. In other words, we're bad, just covered up with some white, something to kind of cover over it. This was the Old Testament system. Once a year, the high priest is coming in at Passover time. That's what we're going to be celebrating. We call it Easter, but it's really Passover, the Jewish holiday. And they come. Every man is coming if he's capable. He's coming to Jerusalem. And he's coming, he's sacrificing this lamb. And we're going to talk more about this on Friday night when we gather here. But he's coming and he's offering this lamb. He's bringing it without spot or without blemish. He had to do this every year over and over again. But it did not cleanse their sin. It just simply covered it. It covered over. So as God looked down, he saw the covering. He saw the blood covering their sin. They had to continue to do this. This was how they were to deal with, how they were going to satisfy God's justice their sin 
It happened year after year after year. But it never really fixed anything. It just postponed it. It postponed it for another year. Another year. I keep doing it. God had told them to do it. It wasn't bad what they were doing. He told them to do it because it's a picture. He says, I want you to understand the picture because a day's coming when the picture is going to become reality. It's going to make sense. Jesus is riding in and he's saying, you know, this covering that's taken place, this temporary cleansing, if you will, that's taken place all of these years where you've had to sacrifice the lamb. I'm the lamb. And I'm coming in and I'm not going to be a temporary covering. I am going to cleanse once and for all. Once and for all. If there is one desire I have as a pastor when I talk to people, so many people, this truth, for most of us as Christians, this truth resides here and never goes much further than that. It is information that we understand in our head. But when God takes it all the way to our heart, when he takes it to the deepest part of who we are, it changes how we see everything in life, including ourselves and other people. I have not been covered. I am not done covered in snow. I have been cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Once and for all. And that's all I came to here today to say. It's just that. You think, really? Yeah, that's all I came to say. Lori, I want you to come to the play. And I want... The rest of you, you will, please. I'm not ordering you, but I'm asking. Because none of us like to be told what to do. I want you to listen to something. So what did I come here to say? Anybody tell me, what did I come here to say today? That Jesus came to cleanse, right? That's the only message. So, well, what's so important about that? If you can listen better with your eyes closed, then close them. If you can listen better looking at the ceiling, then look at it. Or at the cross, look, I don't care what you do, just listen well. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, it's a picture. Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. It can't do it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. They're coming year after year offering these sacrifices, but they could never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? That makes sense. If they were made perfect, if it was done, they'd have quit doing the sacrifices. Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. By the way, substitute in there anything else you want that you might think would help take away your sin. Take bulls and goats out of it. Your good deeds whatever they might be. 
your effort, whatever it might be, it is impossible for it to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you take no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have, come, I have come to do your will, O God, as written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings, and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will, Jesus speaking to the Father, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. you are still offering sacrifices in your own way trying to take away sin I did for a long time but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering he has perfected for all time, those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. No more. Where there is forgiveness of these, where there is forgiveness for these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Jesus came on what we call Palm Sunday and he declared to the Jews there and to everyone who would follow all the way to this day, I come to cleanse sin once for all, to take it away. bow your heads with me. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? He did it once for all. Are you living? Have you come to Jesus and still living in the guilt of your sin? If you are, you don't believe him. I don't mean that to be harsh or blunt but if you're still living in the guilt of what he said he already cleansed and paid for once for all you don't believe him if you're still trying to work it out it's like well yeah I know Jesus saved me but I got to do my part if you could do your part you wouldn't need Jesus to die for you it's just that simple if the children of Israel could do their part Jesus would have never had to die but they couldn't do their part. So Jesus did it for them. 
like he did it for you and me. I know we understand this. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this. I'm not teaching you something that's that's new, that's brand new, that you've never heard. But I spent probably 30 years of my Christian life not really understanding what I knew. It was information, but it wasn't revelation. It wasn't God pulling back the curtain and letting me see what was there all along. I just couldn't see it. But oh, as he pulled back the curtain. Can I tell you the first thing that happens when he pulls back the curtain? You feel a sense of love and being cared for and wanted and secure that you have never known. Because the only place to find that is in him. So today, if your experience as a Christian was like mine, and quite honestly, like many others, one of my heroes of the faith is Hudson Taylor. And I love it in his biography, where he talks about this for years. Here's a man who left his home in England. He sacrificed everything. He gave up his culture, his way of life. Literally gave up everything, sacrificed everything so that the gospel could go to the people of China, especially inland China, who had never heard. Started what was known as the China Inland Mission. It's now Overseas Missionary Fellowship. Was the first to go into inland China. He was the first to send missionaries. He was the first to send women missionaries into the interior of China. God used him in incredible ways. But if you read his autobiography, he will tell you he struggled over and over again. He would cry out to God, Why can I not deal with my temper? Here I am, a missionary. I'm trying to get others to be a missionary. I'm, I'm doing all these things, Lord, but I cannot. I have no power and victory over my anger. And he said one day, he was walking on a trail on a mountainside. And he said it was as if the heavens opened and the Lord spoke to him directly. It wasn't audible. He said it was, so, it was so loud in his heart. That passage in John 15. Now you are clean through the words I have spoken unto you. Some today need to hear Jesus speak that you are clean. You're clean. You say, Troy, you don't know what I did. No, I don't, but Jesus does. And he says, you're clean. Amen. In him, you're clean. Outside of him, you're not. In him, you're clean. Detroit, that seems too simple. Oh, it's very simple. Not easy, but very simple. So, Lord, I cry out today. cry out for you, for us as your people, those of us who know you, 
those who know the information that we have been cleansed. We know the story. We know the scripture. But Lord, in the deepest part of us, we haven't encountered the truth. and you said that you are the truth and you came to set us free. Us. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Pray for revelation. I pray that you would speak, Jesus, to any area where the enemy would lie to them and say, that's too, that, that's, that part's too bad. You got to keep working for that to be clean. You got to do some more for that to be clean. Lord, there is no more we can do. You paid it all. There's nothing more we can or should do other than just surrender to you. So Lord, I pray that for each one here to experience it. you know how close to home this strikes for me both personally and in my family Lord you know the times I have pleaded with and prayed with ones in my family just praying that they could understand this pray it today for this family because Lord I love this family your family our family Holy Spirit reveal open our eyes let us see we will never again think of Palm Sunday in the same way we are cleansed by the word that has been spoken. Not by me, Lord, by you. Your word over us. Your blood over us. Your cleansing applied to us. Not, not for a short time, not for a period of time, but for all time. Once for all, for all time. It is finished. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.